Hello, everybody. I'm Warren Smith coming to you this week from Manitou Springs, Colorado. And I'm Christina Darnell in for Natasha Smith coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. On today's program, we look at how ministries who depend on the teaching of their founders, ministries such as Charles Stanley's In Touch Ministries, are able to survive years or even decades after those founders have died. We also look at the inspiration networks. It has gone from being a small religious network to one of the biggest cable TV networks in the nation. We explain how and what the network aims to do next. We begin today with Promise Keepers. The men's ministry was set to host an in-person event at Belmont University in Nashville this fall, but Belmont canceled that event this month. Belmont canceled the event after Promise Keepers released a statement responding to Pride Month. Promise Keepers said, God's word is very clear on this topic. And we also see the way gender ideology has damaged lives, mutilated bodies, and torn apart families in our own communities. Promise Keeper CEO Ken Harrison said that this statement caused Belmont to pull the plug on the Promise Keepers event that was set for September 29th. Promise Keepers is a ministry focused on helping men grow in their faith, and it really exploded in growth in the 1990s, um, and you could see that by its Stand in the Gap event in Washington, D.C. in 1997, um, and that drew more than one million attendees. But over the next two decades, Promise Keepers really dwindled and almost folded completely, um, but has really seen a rebirth of sorts in the last few years. Belmont confirmed that it had withdrawn their campus as a venue for Promise Keepers because of the ministry's blog post, the one that we quoted a moment ago. Belmont said that the post includes comments that we believe unnecessarily fan the flames of culture wars and are harmful to members of our community. Now, Belmont University has changed its stance on both denominational affiliation and its views on sexuality over the past 20 years. They dissolved their relationship with the Tennessee Baptist Convention in 2007 and added sexuality to its non-discrimination policy in 2011. Then it recognized its first gay student group the same year. Our next story highlights a new study showing massive declines in some of the nation's largest denominations. A new study by demographer Ryan Burge found that most Protestant denominations in this country are losing members, and even those that are growing are mostly not keeping pace with the population growth of the country. Burge looked at data from nine Protestant denominations. Um, so tell us a little bit about what he found. Well, one of the key findings is that the decline of the mainline churches is even worse than had been previously reported. So, for example, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, the ELCA, is down about 41% from 1990 when he started looking until today. The United Church of Christ is less than half the size it was in the late 1980s. The United Methodist, which we've reported on a lot here at Ministry Watch, um, is already down 
31%, but with over 15% of churches disaffiliating just this year, I wouldn't be surprised if membership is down as much as 40% by the same time next year. Now, the Southern Baptist Convention is down only about 4%, uh, but that's because most of its declines have been in the last couple of years. So is any denomination growing? Well, there are two uh, faith traditions that are growing a bit. The Assemblies of God has grown by over 50% in the last 35 years. The PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America, has doubled in size as well during that period. But it's important to remember that the PCA only has about 400,000 members. For every PCA member in the United States, there are about 33 Southern Baptists. And it's also important to note that most of the growth in the PCA took place in the 80s and 90s. That growth has slowed fairly dramatically in the past 10 years to the point that membership has become more or less flat recently. I should also add that there is a whole lot more to this story. It's really in-depth, and we have some great charts that help the story come alive and help you visualize some of these numbers. It's all at the Ministry Watch website, and I recommend that our listeners check it out. Warren, let's take a break. When we return, we'll look at a denomination that is bucking the trend toward liberalism and is fighting to return to its roots. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and we'll have more on that story after a break. Hello, everyone. Warren Smith here again, breaking in on our regular podcast to make a special appeal. June 30th is our fiscal year end, and we've set an ambitious goal of $25,000 for the month to celebrate our 25th anniversary. We're about halfway to the goal, but we only have about a week left to get there. So I'm coming to you today to ask if you would consider supporting Ministry Watch if you never have, or if you've given before, let me say thank you and also let you know that we could use your help again. Ministry Watch has more than 300,000 page views a month on our website, which is enough to command some significant advertising revenue if we decided that we would accept advertising. Just this week, in fact, I turned down an offer from a ministry to support this very podcast. Not only do we accept no advertising, but we also have no annoying paywall. We're completely independent. Our only boss is you, our listeners and readers. So if you value the quality Christian journalism and financial analysis that you get from Ministry Watch, would you consider a gift today? Just go to the ministrywatch.com website and hit the donate button at the top of the page. And if you do that, thanks. Okay, well now, let's get back to the podcast. Welcome back. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Next up, the story we promised before the break. It's the story of the Christian Reformed Church of North America, which is trying to reclaim a biblical position on human sexuality. 
The governing body of the Christian Reformed Church of North America met in Grand Rapids, Michigan this week, and they voted not to sustain the appeal of a church that had petitioned to retain a deacon who is married to a person of the same sex, and that's against the denomination's doctrine. The Synod ordered the Neeland Avenue Christian Reformed Church, which in fact was just a few blocks away from where the church leaders were meeting in Grand Rapids, to immediately rescind the appointment of any and all office holders in same-sex relationships. The Synod also also voted to instruct all classes, as the CRCNA's regional jurisdictions are called, to bring pastors, elders, and deacons who publicly disagree with its stance on human sexuality into compliance. Now, the Christian Reformed Church of North America is not a particularly large denomination. There's only about 200,000 members in the U.S. and Canada But this is an important decision because most denominations, once they begin a slide into liberalism, don't often return to their biblical roots. Yeah, that's right. It's usually a one-way street from conservatism to liberalism. It's hard to find very many examples of it going the other direction. And it's also important to remember that the CRC North America is one of the oldest denominations in the Americas, tracing its roots to the colonial era in this country. And it's had some fairly famous preachers over the years, including Dr. Robert Schuller. Now, last year's annual synod of the denomination, uh, which again, it's its annual meeting, Meeting, voted to affirm the confessional status of its position that homosexual sex is sin. And in that church, confessional status means that a position is considered to be part of the core beliefs of the denomination and that holding office within the denomination means that you have to uphold that doctrine. Our next story is unfortunately one in a string that we've done on sexual abuse over the past few years. That's right. And this one is particularly egregious. A judge has sentenced an Iowa man and former Christian missionary to 25 years in prison for sexual abuse after he repeatedly infected a preschooler with a sexually transmitted disease. Jordan Webb is 31 years old. He's from Dodge City, Iowa, and he was convicted of second-degree sexual abuse, incest, and child endangerment against a four-year-old child. Webb was a missionary in the Caribbean island of St. Lucia from 2019 to February 2022. And then the sending church for his mission in St. Lucia was Harvest Baptist Church in Fort Dodge, Iowa. Webster County Police arrested Webb uh, later that month at the home of Cameron Giovanelli, a registered sex offender that Webb knew from the church. Investigators said that Webb had also been driving Giovanelli's car. Now, in 2020, Giovanelli himself was convicted of fourth-degree sexual offense and second-degree assault in a Maryland court after a woman pressed charges saying that he had groomed and sexually abused her back in 2007 while he was the lead pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in Maryland. Right, and Giovanelli pastored Calvary Baptist from 2004 to 2014 before relocating to California and becoming president at Golden State Bible College. Um, Giovanelli moved to Fort Dodge and joined Harvest Baptist in 2020. 
At Webb's initial bond hearing in May of 2022, Marvin Smith, the assistant pastor and missions director at Harvest Baptist Church, submitted a letter advocating for Webb and calling Giovanelli a great man who would keep Webb accountable in spite of his sex crimes convictions. Before Judge Polking delivered the sentence, the 25-year sentence, Webb had an opportunity to speak on his own behalf, and he maintained his innocence. He said, I still maintain that I did not do this. Webb plans to appeal the sentence, according to his defense attorneys. Our next story is the result of a months-long look into one of the largest Christian television networks in the nation, the Inspirational Network. Yeah, one of the biggest television rating successes of the past decade has not been, in fact, one of the legacy networks like ABC or CBS or even a streamer such as Netflix. Rather, it has been the Inspiration Networks. INSP is its own known now, formerly known as the Inspirational Network, led by David Cirillo and headquartered on a large campus just south of Charlotte, North Carolina. In 2022, the network often appeared among the top rated networks on television, including two weeks of the number six spot back in February of 2022. A statement from INSP said for 115 consecutive weeks, it has been rated as a top 10 cable network by Nielsen. I mean, all of that sounds pretty impressive. Well, it does, but there are some questions about how the ministry became such a ratings powerhouse. For one thing, even though it still takes in more than a $30 million a year in donations, it airs very little religious programming. Only about 15% of its programs are religious in any way. The network has rebranded itself as a Western-themed network, playing Western movies and such 60s-era television programs as The Rifleman and Gunsmoke. Last year, INSP, in fact, changed its entire logo and branding to include a cowboy hat, and its tagline is now heroes live here. Other marketing material says not that it's religious programming, but rather it is entertainment that the whole family can enjoy. And I understand there's an issue with the salaries of some of the senior executives. A number of INSP senior executives do command big salaries. In addition to being a ratings juggernaut, it's been very lucrative for at least a few of the senior executives. David Cirillo, the president who I mentioned earlier, has made about $40 million in the past decade, including $7 million in one year. Of the 20 highest paid ministry executives in the nation, according to their Form 990s, the ones that we track here at Ministry Watch, Eight of the 20 are INSP executives. Now, Ron Tarosian, who is the spokesman for the Inspiration Networks, defended David Cirillo's salary. He said, Mr. Cirillo manages one of the most complex, multifaceted organizations in the country. David Cirillo's compensation is and always has been established by a fully independent executive compensation committee appointed and approved by the company's board of directors. And INSP is not sitting still. 
No, it's certainly not. In August of last year, INSPLLC, which is actually the for-profit entity that controls the television network, uh, announced that it had acquired television stations in 12 media markets from Cox Media Group. The buyer was Imagicom Communications, uh, one of INSP's subsidiaries. Legal terms were originally not disclosed, but subsequent media reports placed the value of the deal at nearly $500 million, $488 million to be precise. And by the way, I've got a whole lot more on this story, Christina, uh, including a look at how the Inspirational Network manages a stable of for-profit organizations while maintaining its identity as a nonprofit, and uh, also that allows it to continue to get donations. You can read all about it at ministrywatch.com. Warren, let's pivot our conversation and talk about a topic that we have covered extensively here at Ministry Watch over the past three years, um, and that's the subject of Bible translation. But this week's story has a bit of a twist. It does, uh, and that twist involves artificial intelligence. The artificial intelligence arm of Facebook parent company Meta has turned to widely translated religious texts like the Bible to provide data for its massive multilingual speech, or MMS, project, which aims to expand text-to-speech and speech-to-text technology for underserved languages. The company said that equipping machines with the ability to recognize and produce speech can make information accessible to more people, including those who rely entirely on information that's delivered verbally or orally. Existing speech recognition models only cover about 100 languages. That's less than 2% of the 7,000 known languages in the world. Meta tapped text-based Bible translation research and audio recordings of people reading the Bible um, to create a data set of readings of the New Testament in more than 1,100 languages, which it said provided an average of 32 hours of data per language. The MMS project also produced lesser data for nearly 4,000 languages, some of which have only a few hundred speakers. Warren, this is certainly an interesting project, but why should those who care about Bible translation care about this? Well, a key reason is this. Though Meta is indeed a secular company, this work has the potential to dramatically speed up translation projects of all kinds, including Bible translations. And as we've reported here at Ministry Watch, the Bible translation industry is badly in need of this kind of paradigm-shifting breakthrough. Now, by the way, if you want to explore more deeply what is going on in the Bible translation world, I'd like to recommend a new podcast episode that we dropped this week. It's called Just How Broken Is the Bible Translation Industry? And it'll explain why such stories as this one are so important. Our next story is one that takes a look at pastors who have passed, but whose preaching lives on. Uh, We call this story Speaking from the Dead. Um, How did this story come about? 
Well, a couple of high-profile pastors have died recently. I think a lot of our listeners already know that, in part because we've reported on them. Harry Reeder, Tim Keller, and Charles Stanley, just to name a few. Now, when the Reverend Charles Stanley died uh, a few months ago, In Touch Ministries announced almost immediately that it would continue operating despite the passing of its founders, distributing his sermons and teachings through a variety of media platforms. And it turns out that InTouch is not the first ministry to do so. Other prominent ministries have continued for years, even decades after their founder's death, including, just to name a few, Through the Bible with J. Vernon McGee, Love Worth Finding with Adrian Rogers, Derek Prince Ministries, D. James Kennedy Ministries. So I asked our reporter, Kim Roberts, if she would look into these ministries and see what made the successful ones so successful. And what did she find out? Well, the ministries that remained relevant um, had a few common factors. Number one was humility. They realized that uh, the ministry's success wasn't dependent upon a single person. Number two was a willingness to engage in the latest delivery platforms. And number three, the centrality of God's word. Now, you would think that they would all be, you know, close to God's word, but some of them comment more about the news and cultural controversies. Those tend not to age very well, not because they haven't remained true, but because the controversies and the news sometimes make the broadcast sound dated. Now, I think that these ideas are most obvious with the ministry through the Bible with J. Vernon McGee. J. Vernon McGee died in 1988. Uh, So Through the Bible has carried on successfully for 35 years now. Yeah, it has. And I think um, Through the Bible provides a unique product in the world of Christian broadcasting that it's a systematic five-year study of the Bible, just going from front to back uh, through broadcast and J. Vernon McGee's teachings. That approach makes the content pretty timeless or evergreen, as they sometimes say in the broadcast industry. But the ministry has adapted to new technologies. Today, it broadcasts digitally online, YouTube, podcasts, and they have a ministry app. And they have SD cards with players that they can take to uh, remote parts of the world, like refugee camps in North Africa, where there is no internet access. The content is now in more than 200 languages compared to just 35 languages at the time of J. Vernon McGee's death. Now, Kim Roberts looked at other ministries also. Yes, she did. Dr. Adrian Rogers, for example, he died in 2005, but his organization, Love Worth Finding, is thriving 18 years now after Rogers' death, according to current President Gary Vaughn. Love Worth Finding, by the way, has an annual budget of about $7 million per year. About half of that is spent on broadcast time. Now, to read more on this topic, which will likely become even more important in the years ahead with the aging of many of our most popular radio and television Bible teachers, just go to the Ministry Watch website and we'll have a lot more there. Let's take another break. When we return our lightning round of Ministry News of the Week, I'm Christina Darnell with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hi everyone, Warren Smith here again to let you know that this month we're kicking off a celebration of our 25th anniversary. One of the things that we're hoping for during this 25th anniversary year is that 100 of our readers and listeners will become $25 per month donors. 
Now, $25 per month is just $300 a year. And if you do give at that level, you'll automatically receive all the donor premiums that we send out over the course of the year, including a subscription to World Magazine, which will be our donor premium for the month of August. Also, there's a number of other carefully curated donor premiums that we think you'll find very helpful over the course of the year. To become a regular monthly donor, just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. Then hit the option for monthly donations. Now let's get back to the podcast. Welcome back. I'm Christina Darnell with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Warren, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. So what do you have first? Well, the Internal Revenue Service, AIRS, is still working through a hefty backlog of tax filings for tax-exempt organizations that were, that backlog started during the COVID pandemic, but the agency has eased the logjam to a certain extent, releasing nearly, uh, releasing rather more than 1 million tax returns over the last couple of months. ProPublica reported earlier this month that the latest batch covers over 900,000 filings from recent years, mostly 2020 through 2022, and another four 400,000 that go back as far as 2016. Though most nonprofits are exempt from income taxes, they're typically required to submit a Form 990 each year, a record of the previous year's revenues, contributions, expenses, executive pay, and other information. I should add that this release has been kind of a big deal for us here at Ministry Watch. Almost every ministry in our Ministry 1000 database has seen some sort of an update in the past 60 days. So if you haven't checked out your favorite ministry in a while, I would encourage you to go to the Ministry Watch 1000 database and do so. We also have an in-depth profile of a ministry called Child Evangelism Fellowship. That's right, we do, in part because Child Evangelism Fellowship has announced an ambitious goal of reaching 100 million children with the gospel. And here at Ministry Watch, when we hear of a ministry that sets an audacious goal like that, we'd like to do a little fact-checking. And what did we find out? Well, CEF has a long track record of reaching children, not only here in the United States, but around the world. It officially began in 1937 by Jesse Irvin Overholzer, who had a burden for bringing the gospel to children. In 2019, it reached over 25 million children worldwide, including in sensitive countries around the world. Uh, The reach of the ministry suffered during the COVID-19 pandemic, but it is rebuilding, and in 2022 says that it reached uh, all almost 20 million kids with the message of salvation. Six million, according to the ministry, actually made professions of faith. So this 100 million goal is a stretch for the group, but it does have a long track record of success in this area. It does. And by the way, we plan to check up on CEF over the next few months to see if they're keeping the promises that they've made to the public and to donors. So we hope you'll check back with us and hear what we find out. Warren, we often close the show with some quick notes about some of our regular weekly features. So let's start with the ministry spotlight. This week, we spotlight Precept Ministries International, which began in 1970 with Kay and Jack Arthur, uh, 
preaching Bible studies out of their home. Originally, the ministry was incorporated as Precept Ministries of Reach Out, Inc., as they studied the Bible in small groups. Precept is officially classified by the IRS as a church, so it's not required to release its Form 990s. However, Precept chooses to provide that information anyway. The ministry, in fact, we think should be commended for doing so, especially in this era when too many ministries are using the church exemption as an excuse not to do audits or provide Form 990s. Uh, But because they have uh, provided us with Form 990s, we can say that they have a 100 donor confidence score, which means give with confidence. It's the highest score that we give. It also has an A transparency grade. Again, the highest ranking that we give, and it's a member of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. And who did we feature in our ministries making a difference this week? The Slavic Gospel Association, which uh, is a ministry that we've actually talked about a good bit over the uh, last couple of years, is rushing to support Ukrainian churches that are trying to help families impacted by the catastrophic dam collapse in southern Ukraine that's been in the news. I'm sure many of our listeners have heard about. The Illinois-based organization is rushing generators, solar-powered phone charging kits, food, and other emergency supplies to local evangelical church teams and pastors that they've developed relationships with on the ground at the scene of the disaster. Also, Every Child Ministries Family Empowerment Program trains adults in biblical business practices over a two-year span and supports them in launching their own businesses. One mom in Uganda graduated from the Family Empowerment Program and started a restaurant and now supports herself, her children, and an also allows her to save some money each month. Now, Christina, your column this week also features news from In His Image International and Reciprocal Ministries International. Both ministries work with kids worldwide. Reciprocal Ministries International uh, have recently um, announced sponsorships for almost 3,000 Haitian children. They fed them hot lunches uh, for 14,000 kids and built 13 hot food storage buildings and school kitchens. They constructed three school in addition. That's a lot of work. RMI is one of Ministry Watch's top-rated ministries, by the way. It has five stars. It's the most we give, and an A transparency graded donor confidence score near the top at 96. Any final thoughts before we go? Well, I do want to mention that we'll be taking a couple of weeks off from this podcast starting next week. Uh, I'll be dropping a couple of extra episodes, short episodes uh, along the way, but these weekly news uh, uh, roundups that we do every Friday, we're going to take a pause part for the 4th of July holiday. It will begin on July 14th. I also want to remind everyone that this is our 25th anniversary. Uh, Rusty and Carol Leonard founded Ministry Watch in June of 1998. Some of you may know that I sat down with Rusty and Carol uh, recently and interviewed them about those early days, and that podcast is now available uh, on your podcast app, and I sure hope you'll listen to it. I think you'll be blessed by these two extraordinary people and the story that they tell. Also, a reminder, especially on this um, uh, as we approach the end of our fiscal year, that Ministry Watch is a donor-supported ministry. If what we do is helpful to you in your own journey of generosity and financial stewardship, I sure hope you'll consider a gift before June 30th. Just go to Ministry Watch's website, that's ministrywatch.com, and hit the donate button at the top of the page.
The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Jeff McIntosh. We get database and other technical support from Stephen Dubarry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Seteth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Shannon Cuthrell, Kim Roberts, and Stike, Jessica Etteralde, Grace Buller, Ryan Burge, Daniel Ritchie, and Rod Pitzer, and you, Warren. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you.